This episode is brought to you by the Nutrition Treatment Center. Are you feeling tired, fat, bloated, weak? Yet at the same time, you're training like you've never trained before? You're eating cleaner than you've ever eaten before? Well, maybe you're doing everything right, but there's something wrong inside your body that's counteracting all the good things that you're doing. It's kind of like driving down the Garden State Parkway with your foot on the gas pedal, but you're not getting anywhere because the parking brake's on. And in the world of nutrition, that parking brake could be food sensitivities. For example, you could be eating grilled chicken, but it's actually making you fat. Or you could have a micronutrient deficiency. If you're feeling tired, fat, bloated, weak, and you think you're doing everything right, go visit our friend Dr. Tom over at the Nutrition Treatment Center. If you tell them that Advanced Training referred you, he will take 25% off your first consultation fee. This man legitimately changed my life. He brought me from, and I'll just say the numbers, 19.5% body fat, a guy who trained all the time, down to 12% body fat. I lost weight while eating more, and I've never felt better, and I'm, I'm an old man now. I'm not a young man, and I've never felt better. This guy saved my life. I 100% believe in what he's done. Again, visit Dr. Tom over at the nutritiontreatmentcenter.com. All right, welcome to the 100th episode of the Advanced Training Podcast. Today's podcast is going to be a little bit different. Rather than me interviewing someone else, Joe Marechko is going to be interviewing me. And I would say that my relationship with Joe has been, uh, I guess the most similar thing I could think of is like Breaking Bad, Walter White, and Jesse Pink. It's like student teacher. And then they've had issues where they have these deep conversations. They go at each other. They're best friends. And then the student becomes as good as the teacher. So I think it's an honor to have Joe running this interview today. Joe, welcome to the show. And thank you for taking on uh, doing this interview. Coach, thank you. I'm, I'm obviously privileged to be doing this interview. I thought it was a great idea uh, to interview you, the man himself, to, to hear from the horse's mouth all the different questions that I've racked up here. Obviously, I think we could go on for a long, long time, but we'll try to limit it to this podcast for, for now. And just, Joe, note that I'll never leave you in a pit uh, in the hands of some gangsters making crystal meth. Much yeah, I, don't, I hope I don't put you in that situation, but you never know what times will bring. <laughs> in the near future. But uh, like I said, I'm really happy to be doing this. I think we'll jump around from topics to topics. I'll try to keep the questions as close together as possible within those topics. But uh, just to jump right into it here, let's get let's get going now. Um, obviously, the owner and founder of Advanced Training. What is your why for Advanced Training? It's kind of evolved over the years. So it started out as me trying to create of like a place for me to train somebody like me. So it started out when I went to college, I didn't know anything about the weight room to the point that I was legitimately thrown out of the, they call it a varsity weight room when you're playing a, a sport in college. I was thrown out of the varsity weight room by my, my coach. I didn't know anything. I didn't know how to hang clean, didn't know how to squat. I didn't know a damn thing. So he threw me out. Eventually he felt bad. In fact, I was sneaking in there. I was a baseball player who stopped playing baseball. I was trying out for the football team, but I hadn't even been given the official, okay, you're even allowed to walk onto the team yet. So I'm just working out in there and I stunk and he just kept, you know, he was from Queens. I'm from Staten Island. Everyone else at the school was from nowhere near New York city. And he would just be like, Staten Island, you stink. Like, you don't know what you're doing. Eventually he pawned me off on some other coach. He was actually from Farrell coach white. He really helped me. And for me, I was like, you know what? I don't want another high school kid to have to start this far behind because the coaches do look at that stuff. They look at your bench numbers. They look at your squat numbers. And maybe it doesn't have any impact as to what you're doing on the field. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. But I was so far behind. So when I started coaching at St. Joseph by the Sea, my why was, okay, 
I don't want another one of these varsity players to go into school seven steps behind. I want these kids to have, know how to beat their conditioning test. I want them to know how to lift the right way so that they gain respect from their strength coach. Because year one in most colleges, the strength coach is with you more than your position coach because you're in the gym a lot longer than you're on the field over the course of the year. What it's kind of morphed into now is really it's, it's a home for, again, guys like me, guys that used to do it, guys that used to compete at a high level to keep competing. And it's really turned into, or I'd almost say like, I'm like Vince McMahon and, and I just set things up and you guys are so into it right now that I really don't have to do much other than set up the forum. And I'm just giving you guys a place to train and compete. And more importantly, share great ideas with other great minds. Cause I think that's another part of it. It's more than just training for us. Now it's just been like, how do we optimize everything in our lives together? Yeah. I mean, that leads into my next question perfectly. I mean, I, I've, We've all noticed, obviously, Joe Trunzo, big trash talker. Uh, he backs it up perfectly. But in the group chat, he's always, you know, getting under guy's skin, trying to get guys motivated, things like that. And you have made mention to you thinking that is always what you wanted and envisioned advanced training to be, having that kind of forum uh, over a group chat. Yes, it's mostly fun. We do a lot of knowledge back and forth with each other, but also a lot of trash talking. So can you expand on that thought and explain how advanced training has evolved over the year as far as the the friendships, the competitions that are built. And is that, was that your intention uh, in the first place? Or was that more of a result of the personalities and the, and the athletes that are involved in the group right now? So my intention was always to make guys compete. And if you look at the challenge point system, you get a point for a loss. Now, why would I do that? The, the reason I did that was because it was almost impossible to get guys to challenge each other in the gym while they were highly competitive guys they had this issue of walking up to another guy and saying, I can hang on a barbell longer than you can. So that's why I instituted that policy. When things started to change was when we started going just once a week as opposed to every day. And I think it was Amoroso who said, you don't need to do this anymore. Just give us a schedule. If you miss your workout and you, you miss yourself out of the order, then that's it. Otherwise, we're going to challenge each other. And then at the same time, you got Trunzo, who's really big into professional wrestling, bringing this bravado to text messages during the week. And that's when I started to see is, look, I don't need to do anything with these guys right now. They're competitive enough. In fact, sometimes I need to hold them back from killing themselves. All I need to do is just set up the four. So originally it was a push. I think it's, it's morphed a bit because I've been training with you guys or know you guys for so long. And now the group is really down to highly competitive people. If you're not a competitive person, there is no way on earth that you're going to be training with us right now. In the past, we had guys that thought it was good. They loved the mystique of advanced training, but they needed to be pushed. And now it's gotten down to that critical few, in my mind, the best of the best quality person who wants to be a part of this thing. So if you had to describe yourself now, besides being a Vince McMahon, what you're trying to do for us, what you're trying to do for potential players or athletes that are looking to get involved in the near future, how would you describe it, a 30-second elevator pitch to somebody that's coming to you and say, hey, I'm, I'm trying to get into college, I'm trying to play sports, uh, I may be training for a fire department or I may be training for the, the army ranger. You never know. Or I just want to lose some weight or get better uh, every day. So it, I'll say this, that person, if I don't know if that person exists inside of advanced training right now, I think advanced training has morphed into fight club, right? Like I'm not saying I'm Brad Pitt or Ed Norton or whoever it is, but it's, it's that scenario, right? You want to get your frustration out from a long week at work, show up at Owl Howell Field. You want to be highly competitive and, and do whatever you can. You want to smash into a prowler. You show up there. It's, it did start out as what you're talking about, Joe. It did start out as you want to learn how to bench press the right way. Right. I'm going to teach 
bench the right way. You want to, we used to say, take it to the next level. We're going to take your training to the next level. It's actually the mantra of advanced training. And then we'd be very progressive in the way we worked out. I'm not seeing that type of kid anymore want to do the stuff we do. And maybe Sarno's getting that type of kid at Headstrong. Mm. What I'm getting now is the highly competitive kid. Now you say, what is my role? I've even stopped coaching you guys as much because for either you already know it or some of you might not want to hear it. So I'll coach some of you guys on the side. I'll send some brief messages, but I've done a lot less of, hey, this is where your foot should be uh, when you're pushing a prowl or if you're bench pressing, do this. I, I kind of do that in my one minute Monday. I'll give a, a weekly tip, but I'm not in the gym with you guys as much anymore at all at this point. So I've done a lot less coaching and a lot more of just setting up the scenario and then letting you guys fight it out. Now, have you settled on a tagline for advanced training? I know you've tossed around a few. We've had, it, we've had the, the blue collar athlete in the past. Uh, have you settled on anything going forward? It ju it just keeps evolving. I mean, I, I love that it was uh, the, the home of the blue-collar football player because I believe that that's what this is geared for. Right. And I think all of us, even though we're old and washed up, I think we still want to be that blue-collar football player. We still are. You know, when you, when you wake up, it doesn't matter who you are. When I'm sitting in a meeting at work, when I'm in church, uh, when I'm watching TV, no matter what, I'm still a football player. I'm a blue-collar football player. So I'm going to train like that, and we're going to compete like that. And I want to wrap up uh, our little discussion here on advanced training with a couple of individual questions for your athletes who you have trained. Who has taught you the most? What did they teach you exactly? <laughs> I, know you take, I know you take a little bit from everybody. People, I do. And, and people come up with, you know, I, I like to pride myself on being a devil's advocate for a lot of the ideas you throw out to try to get you thinking differently from how you do. And I know you appreciate that from everybody. So who has stuck out to you in your mind when you think back? Anything specifically jump into the front of your mind right now? It, you know what? Every one of you guys, even if you're in my life for a week, I, I pull something out of. You know, there's the, the Trunzo's hyper-analytical mindset of just overanalyzing everything. You got Sarno's hyper-competitive slash leadership. You have Jimmy Uske, who is always looking for that next angle. You got Pete, who doesn't let anything get to him too much. You know, he's very even-keeled. There's you who's questioned every single thing that we've done, and it kind of led to this podcast because we've had such deep, deep conversations. You got uh, Billy Blanco, who's just a guy that everybody gravitates around. Morano, who's just a freak of nature. I'm just, I'm just spitting out names here. Uh, you know, Pete Baraji, a guy that people had kind of counted out of left, and now he's making this transformation. For me, and I'm probably leaving a lot of people out, but every single guy touches me in a, in a certain way. And I do my best to talk to them all individually offline to try and learn and grow from them. And I think for me, you know, I get so much out of just doing this. You know, part of it is, yeah, how, how do I develop you guys? But uh, the bigger part for me is you guys are developing me so, so much. It just, it's, you're all awesome. So and I'm picking up little tidbits from each one of you. Now, obviously, we all refer to you as coach. We've either played for you. I've had the good fortune of, of being asked to coach under you. As, an, as one of your assistants. So I wanted to see who you were as a younger coach. Uh, I, I don't think I had you at C. I think, yeah, I had to play the upper levels to have that. Um, I only played freshman. But uh, you said you've come a long way, obviously, and I believe you have as a coach. So as a football coach, who, have you, who were you as a young coach? Who have you grown to be now? And what have you worked most on and noticed most about yourself to get where you are? So as a young coach... I was a very, I'd say, academic coach. I had come from college football where I was completely undersized, and my only advantage was being smart. 
even in high school, I knew I was undersized. So I would sit in on the offensive meetings and watch what the offense was going to do in practice that day so that I would know how to stop it as a, as a scout team player going against the offense. So I took that mindset with me thinking, okay, when I get to high, when I'm coaching at this high school level, I'm going to have these guys outsmart everybody else. And to a point that's good. Where I've grown was, is that I just put too much in. I'm, I'm looking at my playbook right now from St. Joseph by the sea when we installed the three, five defense, it's, it's huge. It's the biggest binder I have. It's hundreds of pages. And I started learning over time through other coaches, through my own frustration, through reading the four hour work week, through listening to a guy like Tony Holler, that you put all of this time and preparation in, and maybe you only use 20% of it at best. It's probably 10%. So why am I wasting this time focusing on all the stuff that I'm not going to do? So my personal evolution as, as, of a co as a coach has really been to how do I sh continue to subtract and subtract and subtract and subtract and focus on, on what's most important. Now, things that have stayed the same, I think it's always been about make motivating guys in their own way. Every guy needs to be motivated differently, in my opinion. I think some guys need to be told they're awesome. Some guys need to be told they suck. Some guys need to be told that some other guy's better than them. It, it really de determines on what the athlete is and what they're thinking about. But uh, I also believe in putting them in competitive situations, just like with advanced training. You saw that at our practices. We had a competitive period every day. I think guys just need to compete. It needs to become part of their DNA. But in terms of packaging stuff, in terms of exercising, in terms of exercising during practice, for me, it's really morphed, in, morphed into this minimal effective dose. What is the least amount that we can do to get the maximum amount of impact? And for me, I just, I've seen it. Coaches have these giant playbooks. You work on all this stuff. You run 10% of it. Players get frustrated because they're only running 10% of it. And how much could you better have you have been if you just focus on that 10%? Now, this mindset of simplifying everything, I, I firmly believe that you have made the translation and crossed that over to your business life too and seen successes there, not only in business, but in your personal life and your coaching life. It kind of kind of crosses all the borders here, right? Yeah, it, it's, it's who I am. Uh, you know, they say if all you have is a hammer, everything's a nail. As I'm discovering myself later on in life, it, I just feel like that's my hammer. My hammer is removing clutter. My hammer is making order out of chaos. That, to me, that's what it is. And regardless of what I'm doing, I'm constantly looking at doing that. It doesn't matter what is it. It could be in maintenance at work. It could be in coaching. It could be in coaching football. It doesn't matter what it is. It's how do I get order out of the chaotic situation? And most of the time, it's by eliminating waste and then simplifying. Now, is there a definitive coaching style that you want to impart on your teams? Is there, do you have to go based off of the, the personalities and the athletes that you have in the room? What's your stance on that? And, and like, which buttons do you have to push? Is it always the same with every team? Or is it you have to adjust your plan and your, your attack on everybody to motivate them uh, in, based on who you're dealing with? I think it's a mesh of both. You have to be you, right? At the end of the day, if, and you've, you've seen this, <laughs> you've been part of it with me. If you're going to go down, you got to go down as being you. You can't work somebody else's plan. You got to live and breathe what you're doing, and you got to believe in that thing. And look, for the most part, everything works in some way, shape, or form. It's a matter of how much do you believe in what you're doing, and how do you get the people around you to believe in what you're doing? Now, how you do that, so that, that would be the why. Do you believe in what I'm doing? I need you to believe in it. The how is, how do you get them to believe? And, and I think it's a different era of kid now. When I played football in 1992 as a freshman in high school, when Coach Dino Manziro said to me, you better run through that fullback, 
I didn't say why. I just did it. I did it because I was scared to death of him. Right. And I was like, I need to do this. Now I need to explain to a linebacker why he needs to run through that fullback. What's in it for him? Uh, where's he going to be a- after the situation? Is he going to be hurt? Is he going to be uh, on the front page of Staten Island events? You, you really got to think about it a different way. Now, having said that, so I, in my mind, when you come into a program, you kind of need to blend in your personality to the personalities of people there. But I think like what Belichick did in New England, you then have to bring in and attract the type of personality that believes in what you believe. So the people that don't believe in what you believe, they're going to leave. And the people that believe in what you believe are going to either stay or bring more people with them. And in turn, I believe those people will thrive. Yes, you got because you're. Look, if if you you believe in X and I believe in Y, we're not going to coexist. Just like when I said with Tony Holler, I can't unsee what I've seen. Yep. I can't unlearn what I've lo- learned. I, can't, I don't know if I could ever coach in again, coach again in a not feed the cat system. I'm sure my mind will change at some point, but for right now, I need to be a feed the cats guy. So yeah, you, you need to be in a place where you believe what they believe. If you're a double wing guy, you're not gonna you're not gonna flourish in a spread offense environment. You know, you're gonna need to have a certain mindset to be in it and live it and breathe it. Right. And now one of the most important things, one of the most uh interesting things I think that you've ever said to me that's really stuck in the back of my mind of all the many millions of things that we've talked about in the past. Uh you're you're saying you can't out patriot the Patriots. Now that's a, it's a perfect segue. You just mentioned Bill Belichick. I want you to go into that theory for the, for the, uh, for the crowd here, the audience. And I mean, assess how you kind of geared it for a football program philosophy, but as well as any other aspect of life that you may have been able to institute it. So I think about it from like a, a marketing perspective. And I think you and I, you know, before we had the book club with advanced training, you and I had started our own little book club and it came from the 22 immutable laws of marketing. And one of the first laws of marketing was if somebody already has the market, don't bother. It's already, it's already their market. You're not going to outdo them in that market. So you need to come up with a new market or have a new angle on that market, but you're not going to outdo Coca-Cola. If you come up with a cola today, too bad. Coca-Cola has the market. They were there first. End of story. So when I started talking about this, it actually had to do with high school football where Stepanek had recently come up as the team. And they, they had a lot of talent. They were also very well coached. It seemed like they had a lot of funding. They were, they were getting kids from different neighborhoods. They had buses bringing them in. And people wanted to be like Stepanek. And what I was saying was you can't out-Stepanek Stepanek because I don't know if you have the same funding. I don't know if you have the same talent in your neighborhood. Uh, I don't know if you can. And if you're going to try and go in and run the same exact offense with the same exact athletes, even if you got there, then what happens? How are they going to respond? Right? Because they're not just sitting there waiting for you to do this and then they're good. They're going to come up with some other angle. So for me, and I'll say this with football, our angle was, well, we're not going to outstep an step an X. So we're going to run a completely different offense. We're going to ruin their day. They want to run. They want to play a seven on seven game. We're going to take that away from them. We're going to take the football out of their hands. We're going to onside kicks, maybe make sure they never have the ball. And maybe it's a better reference to Kellenberg because we had a much better game against them, but Kellenberg was a spread offense. They ran the ball a lot. I think we gave them like 40 possessions because we recovered two onside kicks and we ate the clock. I mean, they're scoring 50 points on everybody, and we lose to them by one point. To me, it's we didn't try and outdo Kellenberg. We just came with a completely and totally different brand of football that, in my mind, gave us a fighting chance to be competitive. I'd, I'd say, first off, that we were well on our way to giving Stepanak all they could handle in the first part of that game. Uh, if a couple fumbles bounced our way and things like that. But also, great book for anybody who's looking 
uh, ask Coach or myself for a copy of it. It's it's a phenomenal. The 22 immutable laws of marketing. A really good read for anybody in the business industry. But, Coach, back to you. Uh, who is your Coach Mahoney? I want to go back to that step in that comment for one second. You are right. So there's been a lot of comments of you know why you win and lose football games. And the more I'm looking at it, the more deeply I look at it, it really is turnovers. Uh, we fumbled three times in that game. Yep. Uh, you, don't, you don't fumble three times. If you fumble three times, you're going to lose, regardless of what offense you're running or if you onside kick. But back to – I mean, I replay, I replay that opening drive in my head. I could see us. I could see the, the looks on the other coaches' face across the field. I could look, see the looks on the kids sucking wind in their huddle and not knowing what's hitting them, just driving down their throat, driving down the field from this te- this unheard of team and from Staten Island. And uh, it was it was a fun, exciting atmosphere for a couple of, couple of minutes there. But- yeah, and look, uh, Stepanek has had a long history with that team. They've had a long history in, in New York City football. I, I think it was just a matter of, oh, God, they're running wedge repeatedly. <laughs> oh, God, we're not getting on the field. They're eating up the clock. Six minutes is off the clock. But, yeah, we fumble. And you fumble, you're going to lose. That's it. That's it. And like I said, to get back to you, uh, you've had such an impact not only on myself. Uh, I'll repeatedly say that. I owe you pretty much everything in my life, but that's besides the point. But a lot of us, anybody that <laughs> has trained under you, anybody that's come to you for advice or guidance, uh, so who was that coach for you growing up? Is there a quote-unquote Coach Mahoney? Well, first off, thank you for the uh, the kind words. I, I do often get shocked by some of the things that you guys say to me. Uh, you know, as I'm sure we'll talk about some of this later, but I'm living in a, a constant feeling of self-doubt. I am always intrigued when some of you guys say the impact that I'm having on your life. I'm like, what? I, you know, who, who knew that this was actually a part of it? I try to make it a goal, but I never think it's actually working. Uh, back, back to who's my coach. You know, there's, there's been a bunch. I think the, the first one was my dad, uh, just living in a house with a guy like that. And, and we'll talk more about that later. But he was my first coach, both literally and figuratively. He coached me in baseball. He coached me in soccer. He was a, a basketball coach before I was born at uh, Assumption grammar school and his, he had a basketball team that scored 100 points a game eighth grade scored 100 points a game won the state championship high schools don't score colleges don't score 100 points a game really? so he he had always started with these other angles you know he never was traditional and even i remember watching when i coached when i played soccer not a sport that i love by any stretch of the imagination but we would play against a really good team and he would say to one of our annoying guys one of our pestering guys all right you go just stand next to their best player and ruin his day and we started doing that in high school. We, we did that. We had a monster package where we just took our, our pesky guy. And we just put him on a wide receiver and said, I don't care what happens. He's not getting the ball. Just ruin his day. Whatever we're going to do, we're going to ruin that guy's day. I don't care. If we lose this game, I don't care as long as that guy's day is ruined. So that, that was a big coach in my life. Uh, the guy, Dino Mangiro, who I'm, I'm working with now, I mean, I, I, I look up to that guy as a mentor and idol just because, A, he knows so much about football. B, I think he's the, the greatest presenter I've ever heard. I was at an executive. Uh, they were teaching us how to speak in an executive manner. And they said, who's the, who's the greatest speaker you know of? And people said, Barack Obama. You know, and I wrote down Coach Dino Mangiro, my high school football coach, greatest speaker I've ever heard. And I just love how he simplifies very complex things. Mm-hmm. I think about my college strength and conditioning coach. He reminded me so much of my father that he was really the father I had when I, my dad wasn't there, when I was away at college, this guy was my father. So I, I think those are probably the big three in terms of people that coached me, but there's been so many other influences, guys I've coached with. I think I've taken a little bit from every single guy that I coached with or coached for. And Tony Holler, 
a big one. And even though I never met the guy, Tim Ferriss, another big guy, I think it was a seminal moment meeting a guy like that. Oh, I'm sorry, reading that guy's work. Never met Tim Ferriss. Not yet. Now, you've made plenty of mention to your father, to, to all of us in the group chat and stuff. I've met him. He's a gentleman, obviously, but he seems like he taught you what it is to be tough. You make a lot of references to him when we're working out, things that he taught you when you when we were on the job or, or when you were working for him as a kid, things like that. But one of the things, and, and I think we've spoken about this a little, I'd like you to expand on it now. This is one of those deep questions you keep talking about. Um, some When you have realized, there comes a point, obviously, in every older man's life and, and if he has a son in that son's point of his life where physically the son will surpass the father and maybe possibly even mentally at a certain point, you know, whether, whether the, the mind goes or maybe the son's a, a mental prodigy, kind of like you. Um, <laughs> that, that's, that's something that I think about. And does it, I want to know if that, if you've realized that in your life, if it changed your opinion or your view of your father, uh, everybody has that, you know, my father's a hero as you're growing up with well, most people, I should say. But when you get to that point, if you have realized it, what, what changes in your mind about your father and how you view not only him, but life? So this, there is an evolution to how you look at your parents through your whole life. And, and I think most people follow a similar pattern. Most do, not all. You grow up, your father's your hero. You get to a certain age, your father's a, an idiot. And then you get to a certain age and you say, oh, my God, my father's the smartest man I've ever met in my life. Sure. And right now I'm at that latter stage where, first of all, I, maybe I can outrun my dad. I'm pretty sure I can probably do certain things in the gym better than my dad. Sure. But I'll say for a fact, when I'm working with him on his heating and air conditioning truck, there's many a time where I could not get a, a pipe fitting off. And he just takes the two pipe wrenches, boop, done. <laughs> Uh, I couldn't lift a, a water heater over a ledge and he just picked it up. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Like, I'm in a gym. I'm doing tough man training. This guy, he has this, this freak strength. So, you know, I know he's in his seventies now. I, and this is only a couple of years ago, by the way, that he's doing all this stuff with heating and air conditioning truck. I still think he could take me. <laughs> I'm pretty certain <laughs> of the fact that he can take me. Maybe I could run away from him. Mentally, his mind works at a, a different level. And I just say that as a kid, he things that he would do you talked about making me tough it's just that he wouldn't accept and my mother was the same way you could never be a victim you could never ever feel sorry for yourself it just wasn't allowed if you were laying down in the house you better be sick we're either all working together as a family or you better be sick so don't don't tell me that you're sleeping in or that you're doing anything that that's lazy that, that wasn't you, you could not be lazy you had to outwork everybody so is that was that something that you believe can be taught I mean, that's, you know, you, that was instilled in you in a very young age, obviously still resonates throughout your life. Now, is that something that you have to be born with an innate kind of motivation and drive in you? Or is that something that you credit a hundred percent to your parents? I think, I think it has to become a habit, but right now for me, going to the gym is a habit. I can't not do it. it it's like a therapeutic release. I'm sure when I was eight, it wasn't even a thought in my mind, but my dad had started ingraining in my head, you got to work. You got to work harder than everybody. And I, I remember specifically one day we were at sea. I'm a sophomore in high school. Coach Mangiro had us run like a, a mile after practice. And I, will, I was dogging the mile so that I could be fast at the end. I kind of was like last. And then the last quarter of a mile, I sprinted and beat everybody. And I got in the car and my dad said, uh, you know, I, I know you better than they know you. And I know you dogged it. And when you go home tonight and you look in the mirror, you know you dogged it. This is not about what they know. It's about what you know. 
And that, that stuck in my head. It stuck in my head for the rest of my life that, damn, like I do have to look in the mirror. And, and I also stuck in my head that my dad's watching. Like, I, I felt worse about disappointing him than I did about myself. So, so back to your question of, you know, is there something you're born with? I, I don't know. I think that you, if you do it enough, it becomes a behavior. And then you don't have to think about it. So right now, there's things I don't think about because of the way that I was raised. Uh, if you're going to go to baseball practice, if practice was at one, my dad had me there at noon. If, if for school, it's just by the sea. I think it started. I don't know what time school started, but I was there with the janitor. I was the first person at school every single day. Now, on the flip, you know, you take the good and the bad. Now, because of all that time stuff, now I'm like obsessed with time. So if I hold a meeting and somebody walks me office at 12, 15, I'm like, whoa, 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 we're starting at one. But we're starting at one. When I start at 101, when I start at 102, we're starting at one. So there's some things I really pull from my dad. I'd say his obsessiveness with being early, I've kind of reeled back on. And I think a thing like the four-hour work week is what changed my mind in that perspective. And yeah, I do work hard. I think that I work as hard, if not harder than everybody at certain things, but I try and limit those things that I'm working at now, like really focus what I'm working really hard at on those specific topics versus being working hard at everything. Yeah. And, I'm, and our many conversations and obviously getting to know you very closely now, uh, I've always been impressed that you're not a younger brother. That was always something that I, that was my chip on my shoulder growing up, you know, that I wanted to beat him in the front, uh, in, the, in front of my house in basketball. I wanted to. I wanted to be on the next level of baseball team than he ever made it to, you know, things like that, but you didn't have that. So I just wanted to know what, what was your motivation? And did you always have it from, like I said, instilled from your father? Or was it something that clicks? I mean, you always have talked about the story about walking onto your college football team, always being the underdog in many, many situations, maybe even in a business life. Is that something that to you, it just clicks in people's heads or you have to find that motivation, go out of your way. I mean, talk to us about a little bit about the uh, the rejection letter from Columbia. <laughs> so I, I, I wasn't a younger brother. I'd say that my dad was. And I think he had that chip on his shoulder just from he had always said to me, I didn't I didn't get serious about school till I was out of high school. So you need to focus on school. I didn't get serious about sports until after high school. So he was a, a great athlete, but he. He was, you know, he'd say, I was too cool to go to school. I was too good, cool to play sports. Now I want you to do it. You get, don't make the same mistakes I did. Right. So he would press me. He would say, oh, you see what happened in the Yankee game last night? You see what Madeline did? No. Tell me. Nope. I'm not telling you. Read the newspaper. He'd make me read all the time. I'd say on an equal front, my mom, not athletically, but academically, she would push me so hard. And I really don't know why. So what she would do was she would test me every night before I had a test in everything. And she put the fear of God in me. I better have every answer right or we'd have to start over and do it again. So I had a 100 average in grammar school. I had a 99.6 average in high school. I, I credit it all to my mom because she wouldn't allow me to not have good grades. She was studying with me through every single subject that I had. So they really both had this impact on me. So for me, it just became ingrained in my DNA from doing it over and over again. I remember my mom saying to me, you have this potential. Don't waste. That's the worst thing you could ever do is waste potential. And I'd say, look, my, my grades in high school and grammar school were pretty good, but uh, I never thought I was smart. In fact, I remember it still eats at me. In first grade, I was put into the quote unquote dumb group because I couldn't spell is and it. It just it was baffling to me. I didn't know how to spell those two words. Right. And the only way I got moved out of that group is that the first grade teacher was calling people up to read a sentence. And it was like little Johnny chases the ball. And I just heard them saying that. So I just went up and said, little Johnny chased the ball. Boom. Instantly got put up to, uh, to the smart group. Yeah. So that's, I mean, everybody loves a Bronx tale, wasted talent. 
is the worst thing in life. Uh, a little sunny action for you. But um, we talked about this a bit the other day. I wanted to bring it up on the podcast. One, one of the best comments that I've ever received, I should say, I took it as a compliment. Um, one of my friends, Coach Mike Cortez, he, he told me that I'm so quick with making jokes during a conversation that he's impressed that I can listen to somebody, take in the information, and be analyzing that while thinking about a response, a funny response, no less, to make a joke out of that and, and keep people happy and engaged. Now, you, I, I, I know you're the same way. You're constantly analyzing not only what people are saying, but you're, you're constantly analyzing their body language, their, what, what exactly their, their options are in, in the conversation, the way things are going to go. So do you think that, do you take that judgment and do you take that analyzation in every single aspect of your life? And do you think it hinders you or holds you back in any way because you're being so analytical compared to just taking things for what they are right up front and trying to, you know, limit the stress that you put on yourself to, to get an edge in somebody's head or to get maybe a meaning that they don't even realize that they're giving you. First off, I want to say that you and Torres probably have some of the, uh, the quickest minds I've ever seen in terms of taking a situation and instantly making some sort of a joke out of it in like 10 seconds. So it's, it's very, I think it's brilliant. Uh, secondly, for me, it, yeah. So I, I, anal- I overanalyze everything. Uh, I think I'm a, a different overanalyze than Tronzo, but I am constantly looking at human beings. I'm a big fan of behavioral science, both inside of football and outside of football. I believe that no matter what system there is, everything is all about the people. And you've always asked me, like, why are you doing this with us right now? Why are you putting me in this situation right now? And really, I just love to see people put in tough situations to get the most out of themselves. Not a dangerous situation, but a situation where they have to dig deep into their soul and find a new them, whoever they are. Find out who that you is really inside of you. Now, it, it does hurt me in instances because, yeah, uh, I don't enjoy the moment. I'm always thinking about the next moment. I'm even thinking about during, you know, we're in training a session on a Saturday. As we're doing it, I'm already thinking, okay, how is this going to impact next Saturday? How is this going to impact the Saturday after that? It'll impact how I'm training because I'm losing myself in the moment trying to plan out the next five steps from what's happening. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it does take you out of moments even when you're there. You could be there, but you're not really there. Now, you've had this strict, strict lifestyle, a ton of discipline with your food, with your uh, time management, with your sleep management, all different regiments in your life that have made you as successful as you are. Um, is this something that you've learned and, and made into habits out of fear? Is it something that you're trying to fight off your age, possibly? I know you're not that old yet. You, you say you are. You, you may feel it at times, but... Is it something deeper, like a, a thought of mortality that you're trying to, to beat out? Are you trying to stay with the young guys as far as out on the field with us every day? Uh, is it just wanting to be the best and, and trying to lead other men? Or what, what's your motivation there to stay so regimented in your life and to be the best that you could possibly be physically, mentally, and every other which way? So hard times make hard men. Hard men make good times. Good times make soft men. And soft men make hard times. Why am I saying this? Because I get worried that my life's too good. I get worried that I'm getting soft. So that's why I take the cold shower. That's why I drink apple cider vinegar. That's why we train at five, well, six o'clock in the morning now. It's I am now creating situations to make things harder for myself so that I don't get soft. 
and that that's really it. And sometimes it's become a habit, like a cold shower isn't that bad anymore. I don't I don't mind it. But so it's just a matter of what can I do to make things as hard as possible so that I can keep refining myself to be the best best version of me. And yeah, am I getting old? Absolutely. And training with you guys, it's it's this constant I can't let these guys see me get old. I can't let them see me lose a step. I gotta keep competing with these you know, young 20 year olds, young 30 year olds who are in the prime of their life. I need to keep doing this as long as possible because the second I stop, that's it. It's over. Little three part question here to kind of wrap this section up. What is the end game? Now, this is a good segue. What's the end game for you as far as advanced training? What's the end game for you as far as training yourself? And what's the end game for your football coaching career? Is there a, is there a lofty goal? Is there, a, how about this? Is there a mission for each one of those three things? <laughs> uh, I don't, I, I struggle with this. You know, I, I struggle. This is, these are questions I ask myself all the time of where the hell am I going with all this stuff? You know, in some respects, uh, you know, I don't know how, I, how do you define success? I don't know. Sometimes it's doing what you say you're going to do. Sometimes it's being the best that you possibly can be in a certain area. Sometimes I feel like I've spread myself too thin. Uh, you know, should I, should I be really this football coach? Should I be this trainer? Should I be this guy at work, this efficiency person at work? Or should I just focus on one of them? Or do, do I, am I good at creating synergies between these things that it makes me the person I am, right? Does, can, I, can I do all three and be, use facets of each one of them to make me successful in the other one? And let's so, not forget loving husband, great friend, you know, son, yes. all that stuff. Dog owner, the whole nine right. yards. So in, in terms of what's the end game for advanced training, you know, the, the, thought, the thing I thought about, we were at Owl Howell a few weeks ago. We left the field and this like 65, 70 year old man came and he was training like 40 to 50 year old guys. And I was like, that's the guy I want to be <laughs> like, I want to still do this at some point. I want to be able to keep training until I can't train anymore. And I hope you guys can keep training with me until I can't train anymore. And then one of you takes over and you start training the other, the other guys, you know, that, that's, that would be my end game for advanced training. Right now, it's a, a part of my life. It's not an all-consuming part of my life. But I've always, and I asked Arnold, do you think of yourself more as a football coach or as a, a strength training coach? And he said, I feel myself as a coach. Right. I also feel myself as a coach, but I feel like all the stuff that I do with advanced training, all of it, always relates back to how can I be a better football coach. Mm-hmm. In fact, I feel like everything I do in my life relates back to being a better football coach. At the same time, you know, you talk about the end game with football. If they, I don't know because while I love football, there is so much garbage that comes with it, an expectation of garbage that you see how many coaches' lives have just been completely taken from them in terms of they lose their families. They lose anything about themselves, and the game just can suck you up, and I don't want it to be like that. And unfortunately, if you make it not like that, then it becomes a threat to every other coach who's made it like that. Well, I lost my wife doing this. So I lost my relationship with my family doing this. Why, why, why can't you, what are you doing? Why are you doing it like this? So it is a, a tough world. And it's, it stopped me from getting into a college game because it, it, it is an all time consuming thing. And again, going back to my 80, 20 principle, imagine telling a, a college coach, yeah, uh, listen, we only need to focus on these 10 plays because these are the ones that are going to run 90% of the time. They'll get fired in 10 seconds. You know, you got to kind of play the game. So I, I don't know what the end game is with, with coaching. I just want to keep learning, keep getting better at football. I want to use advanced training to keep feeding my knowledge of how physical preparedness links up into it. And just in terms of life, I think the overall goal for me is I want to be able to live my own life and not have to answer 
to someone else's time, their schedule, their waste. I, I can't like, I just, I'm losing as I'm getting older. I can't have other people waste my time. So I want to be in a position where I'm almost independent enough to do what I want to do. That's really like my, my life goal, be independent enough to go on my own terms, how I want to go on my own terms. That's, that sounds like a great goal on each point there. Um, all right. Now just a couple of random questions, ideas, uh, in the past, you've mentioned the good guy group. What is it? Do you want to explain to the audience if you have any ideas on tap? I, I've just always felt that, well, you know the saying, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And I've always wanted to make a group where progressive thinkers or great minds could come together and just talk about anything and build each other through their own thoughts and their own debates and their own conversations. Now, I think we kind of had that when we were coaching together. And in fact, if you ask me when we were coaching together, that might have been one of the best environments I was ever in. There was no bureaucracy. There was no, hey, uh, coach, can, do you mind if we do this? You know, I remember when Coach Amorosi had the idea to put the heaviest dumbbells on the top of the dumbbell rack right. because it was so hard to get them off the bottom. And it was like, okay. And he was like, what? You don't want to do it? No, I was like, that was a great idea, man. Let's just do it. It's just whoever had a great idea, we did it. We, and it was the smartest guy in the room at that time in that situation. They were the boss. And that, that to me was the beginning of this, this great minds club, this progressive thinkers club. We don't have that right now. We're kind of doing it a little bit with advanced training. I love that we had the book club. I love that we shared. I love that we shared on mission. I just think that it, you got to get with people on both the physical. I like the physical part and the mental part and the emotional part. You need those three things together. And as you can surround yourself with the right people then you're going to be successful because you're going to up your average. Now to go off the mission, can you, if, if no one ever listened to the other 99 episodes, by the way, congratulations on number hundred, uh, explain the mission, explain how it came about in your mind and how you enacted it in our group. So the, the mission itself came from Tony Holler. So we, you were with me at a, at Festus, Missouri. We're going to watch a, oh, yeah. a, a conference and, this guy is this, I just sit on the edge of your seat speaker. He, he, my hair standing up on the back of my neck. And we put, put it this way. We were, all, we were fired football coaches going to a football conference with no one to coach for or with, right? So we're just there for the sake of loving the game and trying to learn. And he said, everybody talks about a goal, but nobody talks about their mission. And I'm thinking, wow, he's, he's right. Like, think about it. When you see a guy say, that guy's on a mission. He's on a mission. You want to like get out of that guy's way. Go, go do it, man. I don't want to hold you back. You're going to run right through me. So for me, that was the point of putting this mission together. Then Tony Holler had recommended to me to read Chop Wood, Carry Water, which I did. And there was a section on it about the mission. I don't know if he got his mission statement from the mission, from that book, but whatever. It linked nicely. So that's why I decided with our group, knowing how much you guys all mean to each other, let's get this accountability coach in so that you don't just let – you can't let yourself down. Now you're letting your, your accountability coach down too. Adding in the what am I grateful for part was – Okay, you can't be depressed if you're grateful. It's just not possible. And then the last part was, this is what you have to report in every day, was what's my mission? What am I doing to achieve my mission? What am I grateful for? And what did I do for somebody else? Because if your mission is hurting other people or if your mission is taking something away from somebody else, well, then it's not a good mission. So that's why we added that part in. That's where it came from. You've made mention to a few different books so far. Um, Chop Wood, Carry Water was a phenomenal one that we actually did on our book club. The 4-Hour Work Week, you turned me on to that. That immediately affected and changed my life for the better. A um, couple other ones that we, we've talked about, the 22 immutable laws of marketing. Um, I know you have mentioned on your six-minute Mondays this new uh, tennis coaching book. 
So what is the best book you've read and what, why was it the best book? What did you take from it? Obviously you take little bits and pieces from books, from coaches in your life, but what book stands out that, you know, gun to your head, this is the book that you're standing behind and you're going to recommend to anybody and everybody. Best book for our work week. Uh, just because, well, first of all, if that was the thing that made me stop being the, I'm going to spend more time at work. I'm going to spend more time doing this. It, it helped me get my time back. And, and what he says in the book that I love the most is they always say, you can't have your cake and eat it too. And he's like, yeah, you can't just stop wasting so much time on the bad stuff. Now I'll say that I, that book expanded my horizons to a hundred other books. And I am an avid reader. As we're talking, I'm just looking at my bookshelf right now. I'm a little wacky. I have my greatest books all in one shelf together. So for our work, we is literally right in the middle on the side of that book is something called the 80, 20 principle. It's by uh, Richard Koch, who Tim Ferriss just had on his podcast, but it talks about the Pareto principle. There's the lean startup. There's loon shots, Moneyball. Like these are books on my top shelf that I keep there. And if I read another great book, I'll put it up there and I have to pull one of those down and put it in like the, uh, the second string books. So, and just think about successful people. They say that the, the best CEOs read about 60 books a year. That's insane. So if, you, if you're not reading, you got to read, you know, you and I had talked about this in one of our deep conversations. Is it better to read or watch a documentary? In my mind, it's better to read because now you get to replay these words inside your head. You get to basically reenact this stuff. Your imagination can connect all these dots inside your head. And something I do with books, and I've talked about it before, is after I read the book, I'll take notes on the book. Then I'll link what's in one book to another book and see if they complement or contradict each other. And then I'll put in a little memoir of my own life. Like, how do I feel right now? I'm a different person every time I read this book. I can read the same book twice and feel completely differently about it because of what's going on in my life. How do I feel right now as I'm reading this? How does it link to my own personal development? But Gun to My Head, uh, The 4-Hour Work Week, great book. Also, if you want to be successful at anything, I, there's a book called Made to Stick by Chip and Dan Heath. It talks about how to make an awesome presentation. Why? You go into any meeting. It could be a football meeting. It could be a parents' club meeting. It could be a meeting at work. And the boss comes in and says, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. Everybody nods their heads. And two weeks later, nobody's doing anything. Well, this book talks about how do you capture your audience? How do you make sure that what you're saying is heard and acted upon? And it's got a picture of duct tape on the front of it. So it doesn't get much better than that. <laughs> uh, waking up early. That was the thing that I've had to do in order to train with you. Uh, but it has probably been the biggest difference maker in my life if I had a gun to my head and had, to, had that question. So waking up early, cold showers. Uh, your crazy organization, uh, as far as having only like 12 shirts at a max, uh, <laughs> talk about some of these, what quote unquote, what average people would consider crazy mindsets or practices, uh, explain the theories behind maybe those three things or anything else that pops in your head and what it can do for the, the average person that's not doing it right now. So I'm just going to refer to a uh, coach Vin Minicello. Awesome, awesome man. I love him. And I'd say he's a guy that I lean on all the time to just be efficient and effective. When I first met him and told we started learning about my daily schedule, he said, I would not live one day of life like you. I would, I would end it all after just one morning of living how you're living. So for me, routine is a big thing because it eliminates decisions. It eliminates obstacles and it creates room for other stuff. So for me, my mornings are very much the same. I wake up. Let's now during COVID, I don't need to, to travel to work. So uh, I'm not getting up at 4.45. Now I'll say I'm getting up at 5.30, but it's always the same. Get up, 
walk the dog. Well, sorry, get up, weigh myself, curse for about 20 minutes at the scale, <laughs> go down stairs, do my body fat meter, look at it in shame for about 15 minutes, then walk my dog, then do something. I have to work out in some way, shape, or form. Then after that, then my day starts. Now, you ask about the cold shower. We talked before about just keeping me tough, but there, there was some physiological benefits that I don't know. Some people say they work. Some people say they don't. Mm -hmm. Tim Ferriss says it does. People from NASA say it does, but essentially putting cold water on your shoulders should help release uh, brown fat cells, which help burn fat. You know, my, my wife will argue with me that it also will slow down your body rate and make you fat. I don't believe, I mean, whatever Tim Ferriss says, I'm going to believe. So he's, he's my guy. So I'm taking that cold shower, but the thought is no matter what, I'm taking it because it's going to make me tougher. Now, I'm not taking it immediately after I work it anymore because I do believe it will uh, stifle muscle repair and growth. So if I, I'm going to take it a little bit after my workout. In terms of getting up early, I, I believe I talked about this origin, but it started where I wanted to get up early and read my grammar school textbook and know everything the teacher was going to say before class started so that there was no way she was going to ask me a question and I wouldn't know the answer. So that every question she had, I'd raise my hand and I would talk about the future like I was Nostradamus just because I got up first. And now for me is I just don't like people getting up before me. I don't like people starting their day before me. Now, there's a blend because now I realize you need sleep. That's some other way I've grown. I used to think that sleep wasn't a thing at all. Right. Go to bed late, get up early. So now I'm going to bed really early. But my thought is let me just get up early. Oddly, my wife, now she's getting up way earlier than me. So uh, she's, she's beating me to the punch, but I'm letting her win because I'm not getting up at 327 to go to the gym. Or clean the house. whatever. Or she's clean doing. the house, yeah, whatever she's doing. <laughs> well, look, this has been awesome for me. I, like I said in the beginning of this, we could go on for days, talk forever. I'm, I'm very grateful to have you in my life, to have those conversations that we do. And hopefully we'll get back on here maybe at episode 200 and go a little deeper into a couple topics. But last but not least, uh, you asked this of everybody, so I'm going to ask you what you've taken from somebody to, to help you, what you've seen work or not. But uh, the to-do list is the thing that I told you that I did. Uh, the checklist before the games you instituted as far as something that keeps people on board. But what is your uh, method on your quote-unquote like things to do? Uh, what, what's made you more productive? What's something simple, one rule thing that you've taken from somebody in order to be either more sane or more productive? So I, I want to end with two things. I'm going to answer that question, but then I got to finish with something else. So in terms of efficiency for me, a big thing for me has been a not to-do list. So things I won't do unless I am literally bored. I will not check my email or text messages before I get up and do what I'm supposed to do. The only reason I would ever do that is if I'm bored. Like say, I'm like, I'm going to go on this walk with my dog. I need something to think about. Okay, let me check my email quick and I'll think about an article from T Nation. Or if we have a training session and I need to know if one of you guys is just showing up, it's going to change the way that training session is going to go for the day. But say with work, I make a not to-do list. Don't check your email. Don't do this. Don't do that. I make a top three things of what I'm supposed to do. And this is actually a pretty good tip. It's when you do stuff that matters too. So I try not to be creative in the morning. I try and be tactical in the morning. I try and get my little punch list done in the morning. Then in the afternoon, that's when I'll make a creative presentation. I'll come up with a workout for you guys. I'll come up with a challenge, but I would never do it as soon as I woke up. So I think what you don't do is as important as what you do. So I make a not to-do list and then I come in with these are the three things I got to do today or else I fail. And then I tackle those things. And then I go, then I, then I'll check my email. Then I'll check what's going on.
So the, that's all I got from me, but I know you said you had something to finish up on. Yes. So I think I, it, I would be, it would be bad of me not to speak of the influence that my wife has also had on me because I couldn't do the things that I was doing or am doing without her. So it, you can't do this stuff without having a great companion who understands what you're doing. Now, granted, there are times where she is a pain in my butt and she's the biggest skeptic there ever was. She doesn't believe in Tim Ferriss or Dr. Tom or anything else. But she, when Dr. Tom gave me my food plan, she got rid of all those foods out of the house that I had a sensitivity to. She cooks my food exactly the way I need it. She will weigh my food to the exact ounce to make sure that I hit my macros. She's really taken hold of, of training and we're getting our training schedules down together. She's you know, made time in our life for me to coach football, for me to train with you guys. And it's just, I just keep building off of her. And the, the greatest thing about her is that she is Tim Ferriss, even though she hates him without being Tim Ferriss. Like I've never seen anyone respect their time so much or really eliminate waste so much. And when I tell her something I read, she's like, duh, I know that. Like I, I've known that my whole life. Why do you have to read a book to do that? I don't know how she just gets it. But I think, you know, I remember, I think it was, it might have been Drew Olson talking to Mike in the gym about it. And uh, Drew was just thinking that we were just, you know, have stupid conversations about women and relationships. And Mike said, look, you got to get a girl in your life that supports you and that understands you. So if we're, if we're ending with life advice, you know, forget the checklist that I have. Mm. If, if you're finding a, a mate, the most important thing is, does this person, I'm going to steal in Mike's line here from a uh, powerhouse. Does she know you and does she understand you? And like, is she really willing to support what you're doing? So all these crazy things that I'm do, I do, I'm lucky enough that she's right alongside me. I wouldn't say she's enabling me, but uh, she's definitely not getting in my way from doing it. Right. That was, that was a thought of mine. First off, I'm Mrs. Mahoney. I'm sure I'll hear about it the next brunch we have. I'm sorry for not bringing you up. I was going to say that. <laughs> wanted to approve her, uh, want to get her approval before I mention her name on here. But either way, yeah, obviously I am, first off, I was mind boggled that somebody chose you to put up with after you get to know coach for a little while you meet his wife at first glance i mean she's stunningly gorgeous and you just can't believe that she puts up with all this crazy stuff but she does to your point she supports it uh she gets it and you know she has her own nicks and knacks like everybody else does uh on her end of it too which you have come to put up with and and, and uh you know you both thrive together which is it's it's crucial obviously now again i'm still just I'm still kind of astounded that you guys are so so opposite in so many ways but yet it still works now is that is that something that you think sit back and think about did you think about it before you got married were you guys always this compatible uh has it something that that's worked and and grown because I I would have loved to seen I've heard the story many a time but I would have loved to seen the the courtship of Mrs. Mahoney you know it it's definitely morphed so when I first met her, I mean, look, I'm an old soul. I was an old soul when I was 15. My friends wanted to go out and I wanted to play football in the street and read a book. You know, I, 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 so when I met her, she was about 21. I was about 27 probably about. So she's young. She wants to go out. And I'm at that time, I think I'm like a 95 year old man. And it wasn't I, I just I knew I loved her. I knew I loved her personality, but it was rough. Like, man, I can't keep up. I can't. I'm going to work. I'm going to football. I, I really can't keep up with her socially. I think as she's gotten a little older, we've met in the middle. I think we've kind of met in the middle everywhere. So, yeah, she eats my food, and, yes, she, 
She likes to have uh, one or two alcoholic beverages, uh, you know, more than I do. But, you know, we we meet in the middle and yeah, she puts up with me. And wh- what I do think is good is the how we complement each other. So I am what you would say is an introvert, but I'm not shy. So if there's a, a party with 10 people, I'm for the most part going to sit back and not say a word to anybody. I'm just going to let everybody talk. She's going to be the center of the party, coordinating the whole conversation. But if it comes to making a speech, I'm not shy. I'm going to be the guy in the front of the room. I'm going to make the speech, and then I'm going to be exhausted afterwards. She is shy, so she's not going to want to get, go make that speech. Now, where it gets a little wacky is if we're sitting down, stimulation drains me. So if we're hanging out, she wants music on, loud music, fun music. That drains my emotions. So she she needs that. I don't. So that that is where we kind of meet in the middle on that stuff. But I do think we complement each other in just the right way. So we could be very different on certain things. Uh, it connects us in other ways on other. She's definitely built me up. And I, one thing that she's great at, you talk about not being in the moment. She is great at, she's helped me appreciate life. If it wasn't for her, like if she goes away on vacation or something, I'll work the whole day, the whole night. I won't stop for five seconds. She's taught me that, hey, vacation is good. Hey, watching a little bit of TV is good. Enjoying this food is good. Having this glass of wine is good. You don't need to do everything so hardcore because life is too short. Right. And like I said, coach, I, I know I speak for majority of the guys that, that we train with currently. Uh, definitely guys in the past have the same feeling about you, but we're blessed to have you in our lives. Um, you know, like I said, the guidance, the leadership, the advice, the, you know, everything that you do for us, it's really, it's changed my life for the better. It's changed all of our lives for the better. And, and we're lucky to have you. So thank you for this uh, interview. Thank you for, everything. I can't wait for what the future holds with us and uh, specifically to watch you, um, you know, continue to lead men, continue to lead an interesting, one of the most interesting lives I've ever had. Definitely one of the most driven lives that anybody that, that knows about you and can speak about you uh, has ever seen. Uh, That's something to be admired. So um, thank you again. And Joe, I want to, you had asked me a question in the questions that we didn't get to ask, but you said like, who surprised me the most? I'd say, uh, you're a guy that has probably surprised us all the most. First of all, I think it goes without saying that how many people do you know that coached or have coached or do coach three different varsity high school sports, football, basketball, baseball, pretty impressive. But I'd say back to our, like if we're going full circle on this thing, our Jesse Pinkman days, uh, when you started training, you were probably one of the least dedicated guys that we had. You would miss constantly. You never really completed a program or a sheet. Guys say, oh, Marisco's training with you, but no, I'm seeing nothing, man. This is the guy that's loyal to you. We're getting nothing from him. So obviously your program sucks. And I was thinking, well, he never really did it. But now you're all in. You are currently uh, undefeated in the current challenge. You're currently, I don't know what we're doing with the regular season 2020 challenge. But I think in terms of complete and, completely and totally surprising me, uh, you're the guy. And I think if we had to speak to other people in the program, I think they'd agree as well. So. We didn't, answer, we didn't ask that question, but I'm answering it. Thank you. I appreciate your kind words always, Coach. All right, man. Well, thank you for doing this, Joe. I appreciate it. You got it. Have a great day. All right. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by MicroSky, your one-stop shop for IT and computer services. Now, I've been a customer of these guys for years, and here's why. They make things easy. My computer had died. They came, picked up my computer, recovered all my data, and then set me up with a new computer in three days. Fully loaded, I just press the on button and I'm ready to go. Made my life super, super easy. Now, they don't only specialize in computer repair. They also specialize in cloud backup, 
data recovery, cybersecurity, and IT support plans. Do not be like me. Do not wait until your computer dies to get in touch with these guys. Visit microskyms.com slash contact. Microsky, that's S-K-Y-M-S dot com slash contact. If you want a free month of cloud backup, make sure you put AT2020 in the referred by field in the contact form. Again, that's AT2020. Do not wait like I did. Contact them today.